Hey everyone, welcome to Be The Change. My name is Lily Mott, and today I'm going to be talking about how change comes when we focus on collaboration and not competition. Audrey Pet is the founder of WeTech, which is short for Women in Technology, and I got to talk with her about all of her work making tech education more accessible. So with that little introduction, let's get started with this conversation featuring Audrey Pet. Hi everyone, my name is Audrey Peh. I'm the founder and former executive director of WeTech, which is short for Women in Technology. WeTech is a global youth-led nonprofit organization with over 26 chapters spread out across 10 countries around the world. Fun fact is that we're in all continents except Antarctica. <laughs> we aim to educate, inspire, and empower youth to break gender barriers and use tech to make a difference in society. And this means really setting up events, conferences, and outreaches aimed at breaking not just the gender gaps in tech, but also the digital divide that exists in tech, especially due to the pandemic and lack of resources to shift online learning. When I'm not working on that, I'm also a research assistant over at Stanford University's Graduate School of Education and Big Local News, which is a data science and journalism initiative here at the university that aims to combine both disciplines and making more informed um, journalistic pieces driven by data science. I'm also a current junior here at Stanford, which is really crazy because I started school during the pandemic. And I major in science, technology, and society with a minor in education. That was a great way to get started, and I'm really excited to learn more about WeTech and all of the other work that you're doing. So I'd love to start off by just going a little bit deeper into how you got started with this work that you're doing in the first place. What inspired you to start WeTech? A lot of WeTech's background is very much intertwined with my own background growing up in the Philippines. So I was born and raised in Manila, Philippines, where there is a government-mandated computer class. And this computer class, though, has very little to do with programming and much more to do with basic computer literacy. Think Microsoft Excel, Word, PowerPoint. And I didn't find technology that exciting until one day that teacher decided to go, that computer teacher decided to go completely off curriculum and introduced us to this game where a snake had to navigate the maze using blocks that represented line of code. And I was around, I want to say 13, 14 at that time. And that was my first introduction to this concept that the technology that I was pretty much using on a day-to-day basis was made using code. And that fascinated me. I immediately wanted to learn more about tech and quickly realized from my teacher and from those around me that there wasn't going to be that much of a conducive environment for it in my immediate school system because computer science wasn't in the curriculum. I knew no other students my age that wanted to go to DAG. So I decided to just literally go online and Google computer science resources, how to learn how to code. And I found a plethora of free resources like Harvard's introductory computer science course, Codecademy, Code.org, little like mini games where I got to learn coding concepts um, using like Star Wars, like figures, stuff like that. And I quickly developed this interest in tech that kept me going up until high school where I started asking these questions like, why doesn't anyone in tech look like me? Or why don't the big figures in the tech industry, like why can't I identify with them? And I realized that that's because when I thought of big people in tech, I thought of Mark Zuckerberg, Bill Gates, Elon Musk, middle-aged 
like old men <laughs> or like white men that like I had very little in common with and still to this day don't really have much in common with background wise. I looked into their stories and found that they'd been programming since they were basically like in early middle school and they'd sold like the first softwares when they were in early high school. And I thought, wow, like how can I be in the same space as that? So I saw out role models and that's essentially how WeTech was formed. WeTech started out as a blog that I used to feature the different stories of women in tech that I actively sought out on platforms like LinkedIn and Instagram. I would message them and ask if I could interview them, ask a couple questions that could inspire myself personally, but also that I could put into a blog post that other young girls, perhaps around the world looking for inspiration as well, could immediately access and draw inspiration from too. And then VTech transitioned into an organization when I saw a lack of women in tech events in the Philippine tech space. Because at that point, with the blog up and running, I was attending networking events, tech conferences. And I really saw that barely any of the speakers, judges, and mentors at these like hackathons, at these pitching competitions as well, were women. And I thought that how are we supposed to break into the space when events like these are immediately showing us that we are not big figures in it, which we could be. And I think that step really starts with having that whole representation is reality kind of like adage, like really adapting to that and setting up events geared towards diversity and inclusivity. And that's how WeTech's first Women in Tech conference started, which was actually the first Women in Tech conference for students and by students in the Philippines. And that's kind of how we got our start. That's so interesting. And I would love to know more about your experience growing up in the Philippines. So you mentioned seeing this lack of resources and lack of representation for young women. And I would love to know more about that issue in the Philippines in particular. Can you tell me more about the issues that young people are facing in the Philippines and how they've influenced the work that you're doing now? For context, the Philippines is very much still a developing country in the sense that when we talk about technology and startups and just education and technology in general, like the understanding of it is quite limited compared to what I see being here in Silicon Valley at Stanford. So when we go into different communities at VTech and we bring in tech resources, we don't just mean throwing them into the deep end and being like, oh, this is what programming is like. We're talking about bringing in resources to learn about how to use a computer how to access Microsoft Excel and Word and PowerPoint, things that I honestly took for granted growing up in the Philippines and getting to go to private school there. I think that when we're talking about disparities in tech in the Philippines, it's so, so pressing to address the mere fact that not everybody gets access to a laptop or a tablet or Wi-Fi connection. And that was especially problematic during the pandemic when schools shifted online. And there were many students that there's this viral article back home that said that a student had to climb a mountain to get better signal to submit his assignments. And I think that's a, it's a very extreme case, but it points to the bigger issue that there's a lack of infrastructure in the Philippines. And I think that in order to best encourage more girls in tech as well, we need to just generally encourage more or create environments that are more conducive to young people entering tech. And that always starts with resources and making sure that every student regardless of their gender or socioeconomic status, has access to that basic technology. I like to say that technology is a human right when it is currently a privilege. And when at WeTech, we go to these different communities and we bring in these tech resources, we really see the disparity between what we see in like the private schools and the public schools. We see the disparity in the cities and the provinces. And the Philippines is an archipelago with over 7,000 different islands. 
And that is a lot of connectivity issues. And I think that in order to really move forward, not just like in, a, in the tech scene in the Philippines, but also just like for the country as a whole, we need to acknowledge that it all starts with providing those basic resources. And then maybe one day we can get to a point where we have that tech scene, like what I see here in Silicon Valley. But it's going to take that like basic acknowledgement of the need for resources and active action in providing them. So I would also love to know about some of the advice that you've gotten through this work that you've done. You mentioned that you had your blog where you interviewed people in the tech industry. And I would love to know through those conversations or through other ones that you've had along the way, what is some of the best advice that you've gotten? Are there any words of wisdom or maybe like a life motto that has stuck with you? I definitely have a life motto that comes to mind. And this is something that my uncle told me as I was entering high school. And he, we have this tradition, at least in my high school, we had this tradition where our family, friends, our loved ones would write us all letters before we graduated. And we get to like open them up and like read them in a room and like there were candles. It was very dramatic. And I remember my uncle wrote me this letter that said something about how I should put myself in situations that make me uncomfortable but not unsafe because that is where I will grow and I love that because as I was going into the tech scene as I was attending all these events where I was literally the only high schooler there and one of the few women there I faced so much discomfort in the sense that I felt like people were looking at me I felt like not just felt like but people were actually going up to me and being like oh you shouldn't be in school right now making jokes like that I approached different startup booths and people would be like you're a bit too young to be doing this or they'd be like you don't look like you're in tech so different microaggressions like that and I think what really kept me going was thinking about what my uncle said about how we're never really going to grow unless we put ourselves in uncomfortable situations that that don't make us feel unsafe and that's what really propelled me to at this one tech conference go and listen to this panel on the Philippine startup scene in like the main hall and I noticed that of that panel there was only one woman on the panel, and they did not touch the topic of lack of diversity and accessibility in tech. And at that time, I had just read a statistic saying that only 18% of startups in the Philippines were founded by women. So I, during the Q&A section, I thought, okay, I'm going to ask the question. And I go up to them, and I, I talk about WeTech pretty briefly, and I transition into a question about the gender gap in tech. And I'm asking, like, what can we do to better the tech scene and make it more diverse and more welcoming for young girls like me and they kind of danced around my question and then really gave me a straight answer they they went all oh it's so nice that like young people are being so active yada yada and they that left me really feeling unsatisfied and I thought okay well I didn't feel like I got that much out of that interaction but afterwards that was where the real value came in because people heard my elevator pitch on me tech and were approaching me And that was how I secured my first speaking invitation to a crowd of 4,000 people at the Association of Southeast Asian Nations Entrepreneurship Conference. And that led to even more speaking engagements and really cool travel opportunities like going to Thailand to speak at the ASEAN UN headquarters, at UNICEF, at all these different exciting events that looking back kind of snowballed from that one decision to put myself in that situation where people were looking at me And I was feeling a bit nervous asking this question to this crowd that I didn't really feel comfortable in. But I think at the end of the day, when you're really passionate about something, for me, there's always that like give and take. 
you need to put yourself in those scenarios where you feel like you may not be the most comfortable, but in the long run could help with your advocacy. And I feel like that's something that I've been actively doing with VTech, especially throughout my gap year and throughout my time here at Stanford. That's such an interesting piece of advice. And I think it makes so much sense because if you're not comfortable and if you're not pushing the boundaries, then you really aren't growing as a person or even giving yourself that opportunity to grow. So yeah, I think I think that's great advice. I would love to know more about your gap year too. So I've had some other guests on the podcast that have taken gap years and gap semesters, and that's definitely a more unconventional path than some people's college experiences. And I think there are a lot of people who may be interested in doing something like that, but they're afraid to take that risk and do it. So I'd love to know more about your gap year. Can you tell me about why you chose to take that gap year and what your year looked like? Definitely. I think that taking a gap year currently in the Philippines is a very unconventional path and it's become a bit more common because of the pandemic, but as a whole, there's still a big taboo against it. I think a lot of people see it as taking time off and taking a quote-unquote break, which firstly like, isn't bad to begin with, but I think also it's misconstrued because gap years can be so many different things. It can be taken for work reasons, it can be taken to, to take classes at other places, they can just be just whatever you make of it. And personally, I took my gap year because towards the end of my senior year, I was really pushing myself to do college applications well, to finish the international baccalaureate. And for those like listening that aren't familiar with the IB, it's essentially think like APs, but originated in Switzerland. And it's a like seven subject curriculum that like you need to to fulfill these requirements and all that versus like I know APs you take specific subjects so it's a very rigorous program to say the least and on top of that I was doing VTech work traveling pretty much at least once or twice a week to give a talk in a different part of Manila if not like the country and I was just really really tired <laughs> I was happy and I was fulfilled with my work but I think you can be happy and you can be tired at the same time and my parents were the ones that started to see I think the science of burnout in the sense that I was getting like three to four hours of sleep. I was feeling just very lethargic and I didn't want to say no to all these opportunities that were coming to me for me tag. And I also didn't want to sacrifice working hard on my exams and my, um, and just my IB because my parents always like ingrained in me that education is a top priority. So it came to a point where my parents were actually the ones that suggested taking a gap year to work on VTech because they saw how committed I was to the organization and how taking a year to fully stabilize it and work on its operations before I head off to university abroad would really better not just myself, but just the organization as a whole. And I'm really grateful for that because I feel like a lot of parents aren't that supportive of gap years. But in my case, my parents were the ones that really propelled the idea forward. And Throughout my gap year, I took time to restructure retag, fix the operations so that I worked directly with chapter coordinators that oversaw our different chapters around the world. So we'd have a North America chapter coordinator, a Europe chapter coordinator, somebody handling all of Asia except for the Philippines, and then somebody handling just the Philippines. And with that structure, I was able to kind of take a step back from WeTech Manila operations, but still remain very much close to our international operations while I was abroad. And I think that worked out so, so perfectly because we're learning at VTech that the only people that know what projects 
what solutions for the gender and accessibility gaps are best are the people actually living in the communities. So we are more like supervisors as chapter coordinators and me as executive director. I was really just there to help provide resources and guidance if people were like, how do we set up a woman in tech talk? How do we do outreach? And I love just the energy of working with young people that are doing advocacy for the sake of it and not because of a college app, not because somebody's forcing them to do it. Like they just want to do this and they're committing their free time to it. And that was just so energizing. And I got to travel around as well during my gap year giving different talks in places like Portugal and Thailand and around the Philippines as well. And looking back at it, I have completely no regrets of my gap year. And I think if anybody is kind of on the fence about doing a gap year, I know it's contextual to every single person. So I'd be happy to chat more about it, but I think overall, the gap is really what you make of it. It's how you structure it. And while I made a Google document with month per month plans, that kind of all went out the window when the pandemic hit. But that's okay, because I think that as a team, we shifted well to online circumstances. We just had to pivot a lot of our events and our outreaches. But as a whole, I think when you're planning out a gap year, it's good to have a general idea of a theme in mind or maybe a specific goal that you have, but also be willing to kind of take other suggestions and see how things go because a lot of exciting, spontaneous adventures can come out of it as well. I think that's great. And I'm so glad that you had such a fulfilling experience with WeTech and traveling for talks and everything during your gap year, especially during the pandemic. So I have one last question for you. Lots of young people want to create change and want to make a difference, but they may not know how to get started with that work. Do you have any advice for those people who may be listening? My advice to any young person that wants to make a difference in the world, but doesn't really know how to start, would be to think about the issues that get you really emotional. Think about the things that you see in the news that make you really upset. The things you see when you're walking to school, for instance, that make you stop and go, this shouldn't be this way. For me, that was the gender gap in that. That was seeing the accessibility gaps and how so many students from the Philippines lack the basic resources to pursue a basic education. And take that energy and instead of using it negatively or dwelling on it, like channel it into looking for solutions. What I did is that I would be up really late at night reading different articles, reports on the gender gap in tech, and I'd compile them into different folders and different like research files to look back at. And I turned that into the women in tech blog, the WeTech blog. And I think that solutions can really be different depending on the context of where you're at. So in the Philippines, I decided to start an organization because I saw the lack of a woman in tech community back home in Manila. And I think if you are in the United States, for instance, you can look up different organizations and maybe you'll have something similar to your interests, or you can also start something on your own. I think that the most important thing, though, is to make sure that you are doing the advocacy, you are pursuing it for the right reasons. And if that's because it's you can't, it's, if that's because you can't sleep at night, for instance, because you're so worried about a certain issue, I think you're on the right path. So connect with like-minded folks. You can find those people on like LinkedIn, Instagram, different community groups, organizations. I also wouldn't hesitate to like put up a LinkedIn post or put in an Instagram post, for instance, and ask like, is anybody here passionate about like reducing plastic pollution or um, gender equality? And you'd be surprised at how much reach I think Instagram could could make because for WeTech, for instance, we had so much engagement, especially in our earlier years from platforms like Twitter and Instagram, which were, I think, kind of the from other people, like we're, 
it was kind of being labeled as oh it's just like social media like it's just for fun and while it can be for fun it can also be so much community as well and an advocacy level and I think it just takes reaching out and posting to to get there and I guess my last piece of advice would also to be to be thinking actively about how there is no one perfect way to pursue running an organization, being part of an organization, being in the advocacy space. I think that a lot of the times we fall into this trap of comparing ourselves to other people and other activists and other change makers. And that's just not a productive route. I think that when we're focused on the work that we want to do and we have like, like a very centered and like focused vision and really want to just enact change because of it, I think that we should block out distractions. And I think a lot of the time when we instead focus on collaboration rather than competition, that's the phrase. That's when I think the real impact really comes about in the community. I was so inspired by talking with Audrey because of her energy and passion for the work that she's doing with WeTech. There were two pieces of advice that she shared that really stuck out to me. The first was to do what makes you feel uncomfortable, but not unsafe. And I think that's great advice for anyone who wants to make change or start a new project or anything like that. The second piece of advice was about collaborating rather than competing. And I think that is so important to keep in mind. If you have an idea for a project or if there's an issue that you're really passionate about, there may be someone out there who is already working on a similar project or who is also passionate about that issue, and you can collaborate with them rather than competing and trying to do your own thing. Two people working together is always better than one trying to do it on their own, and I think we should all keep that in mind because change comes when we focus on collaboration and not competition. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, and you can find Audrey on Instagram at Audrey Isabel Pe to get connected with her, and you can also find WeTech on Instagram at WeTechOrg to check out the organization. If you want to talk about anything I mentioned, please reach out to me by email at lily at bethechangepodcast.org or on Instagram at bethechangepodcast. Tune in for my next episode, but until then, be the change you wish to see in the world. Bye, guys.